Well, hey, I want to say thanks uh, to Quincy and uh, Galilean Home. That is awesome. I always love to hear the update because uh, it seems like they just are just touching people all over the world. And it's amazing to think that when we give uh, our tithes and offerings that we are making an impact uh, in, a, in a place uh, addressing uh, very handicapped people's needs who might not have a home uh, and also a ministry that reaches out to practical things like uh, those who are in rehab or those who are in jail and their children caring for them. Uh, they have a love for kids. So uh, we're proud to partner with them. And if you want to find out more about the ministry, you can touch base with him back there. Well, guys, we are uh, we're in spring. I mean, it doesn't feel like it yet, but it really is. And we're there. And you know what happens in spring? Easter comes up. Uh, so here in just a few weeks, Easter is going to be upon us, April the 21st. And uh, I want to encourage you. People uh, are very likely to come to church, more likely to come any other time of the year on Easter if you invite them. Uh, they might just show up, but man, invite somebody to come with you uh, on Easter Sunday and, uh, and uh, really extend that invitation to them. The other thing that we always do on Easter Sunday, we believe there's no better time than on the day that Jesus, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, uh, is that uh, we talk about baptism. And so uh, we're going to make this a baptism Sunday. You know, I said before, sometimes people just need a date to put on the calendar to say, that's my day uh, to be obedient in baptism. And if you have not uh, done that or you want to talk to someone about that I'd love to do that we're actually going to have a class on April the 14th uh, Sunday evening at 6 o'clock that you can come just uh, very non-threatening uh, just come and talk about it and uh, or if you want to do it privately we can do that as well uh, but let's make that a big day let's pray it up uh, let's invite people and let's plan on uh, just being an awesome day of celebration together so uh, just want to kind of focus your minds toward that well today we're going to be talking a little bit about life and death uh, which is on everybody's mind. You know, we lose people that, that are meaningful to us. We hear about horrible tragedies. Uh, we know the, the, the importance of life. Last night, Lori and I went and saw the movie Unplanned, and uh, that was an incredible movie, so powerful uh, to talk about the value of life. So you might want to go see that, but we're going to talk about life and death today. To kick off, I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Jerry Miller. Jerry was a retired uh, sergeant, I lived in Florida, and he was on disability. He was on Social Security payments and also a government pension. In July 2010, Jerry received in the mail a letter addressed to his family, his estate from uh, the VA, uh, uh, telling them they were sorry about his recent passing. It kind of surprised him because he was still alive. Uh, but he opened the letter up, and they said, uh, you know, we're sorry that your loved one has passed away. And by the way, his benefits will soon be cut off. And so uh, he decided, i gotta, I got to fix this. So he went down to the, the Veterans Affairs office, which should have done it, you know, gone in, I'm here, I'm alive, verify that. And, uh, but it wasn't enough because three more times over the next couple years, his family received a letter saying that he had died and expressing sympathy. And when he, every time he had to prove he was alive, and, and then they had the nerve to ask him to repay the $94,000 in checks that his corpse had been cashing over the years. You know, that's government bureaucracy at its best, isn't it? You know, they'll tell you that you're dead and you have to prove that you're alive. Well, today we're going to be talking about a guy who wasn't just presumed to be dead. He was literally dead. He had been dead for several days. He was buried in the ground. His body was decomposing, but a man who was brought back to life again. And this is an awesome story about the life of Jesus. Uh, it's a study that we're, we are, as a part of our study through the book of John, uh, John, the Gospel of John. Remember, John was the closest of Jesus' disciples. 
He was a disciple whom Jesus loved. He was in the inner circle of Peter, Andrew, uh, James, and John, kind of around Jesus. He also wrote not only the book uh, of John, the Gospel of John, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation as well. And so he's a pretty prolific writer. He tells us a lot about who Jesus is, and we're spending a few weeks kind of looking through a study of Jesus, the untold story, through the eyes of John. So we're going to be talking today about this man, and the man who died, let me tell you about him, his name was Lazarus. You've probably heard that story before. It's an amazing story about a man who was a very good friend of Jesus. This was not just some casual acquaintance or somebody who Jesus might have heard about. It was a very good friend. In fact, as we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus was very close to Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. There are stories about Jesus being in their home. Remember the story? Martha's up cooking. Mary's sitting down listening to Jesus. And Martha's kind of one of those people that some of us may tend to be. We're more concerned about the practical and about serving than we are about listening to Jesus. And so Jesus teaches uh, them that day, you know, it's more important not to just be serving, but it's really to be committed to following Jesus Christ. And so uh, we learn about that family a little bit. We also see that they were so close to Jesus that outside the circle of the 12, they were probably his best friends. So that's the kind of the setting that we're going to discover here uh, in this scripture. And I'm going to read through that. We're in John chapter 11, and it's rather a long scripture. I'll be honest with you. It's probably about as long as scriptures I've ever read. So if you really want to stay with us, stay engaged, don't get distracted. Uh, we're going to read uh, several verses here from John chapter 11. Let's read together. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? He went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Now, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. A little bit of sarcasm here, I think, on Thomas's part. We're going to talk about him later on in our study. But on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. 
aside. The teacher is here, she said, asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went into him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But, none of them, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more moved, came to the, the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time this is a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth across his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I'm sure that you probably have heard or read that story before, but that is an amazing story. Uh, just, a, you know, just a regular, even though it's a little longer account, it's kind of a regular uh, occurrence of being with Jesus when he did something incredible, something miraculous. But this story has some twists and turns in it, so we're going to take a few moments and kind of break it down and see what's happening here. And there's some th things we see about how Jesus responded to this situation. The first thing I think is pretty strange is that when Jesus heard the news about Lazarus, the first thing he did was nothing. He delayed. He stayed where he was, which kind of surprises us. He didn't go at once, which we oftentimes see Jesus doing. He hears of a need. He goes at once. So most of us would expect, given the relationship with his family, that when Jesus heard the news, we'd expect him to drop everything as soon as he heard and take off and go and take care of the problem. I would imagine that Mary and Martha probably expected the same thing. They assumed that because Jesus loved them and was, uh, you know, they were important to him, that he would drop everything and, and rush to Lazarus' side. And kind of imagine what they were thinking. You know, we know the ending of this story. We probably knew the ending before we started a little bit. But, but can you imagine Mary and Martha expecting Jesus to, to rush right over, heal Lazarus, and enjoy some time together? But instead of that, Jesus delayed. He put it off. Now, he was a couple of days travel from them anyway, but he delayed long enough for Lazarus to actually die and for Mary and Martha to experience some pretty serious grief. We don't know his age or anything, but it seems like this, he was a healthy man. They didn't expect him to die. The sickness came and it worked very quickly and he passed away. You know, we noticed throughout the work of Jesus that he was always busy doing good work, good things, but in many cases, he would drop everything he had and go. So that's one thing that's kind of amazing, a little bit strange about this whole story. And then we find out there was a reason why Jesus had not gone, why he had not, probably not seen Mary and Martha and Lazarus for some time, because the last time he was there in this area near Jerusalem in Judea, he had had a lot of opposition. Now, we've been reading all the way through this study in the book of John 
about the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes, the Sadducees. We talked about them, how they were jealous of Jesus, and they were resentful, and they always opposed him, oftentimes public. In fact, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus uh, was uh, in, in the midst of people, and they, they brought a woman to him in who has been taken in adultery. And they kind of put her in there and said, Jesus, what do we do? Do we stone her like the law says? And then we discovered they weren't so concerned about her as they were trying to, ra- to trap Jesus. And so we kind of see what they were doing, and, and Jesus would walk away from that most of the time. He did not want to cause more or increased opposition. So you might say, well, that's why Jesus hadn't seen them in a while. That's why Jesus didn't go back. He didn't want to get into the middle of a conflict. But that's not why he, he didn't go. In fact, a couple days later, he does go. Not, that's not the reason he didn't go immediately. He did wait two days, and he told his disciples, who also knew about the sickness, he said, you know, we're going to wait a, time, a little while to go. And then he told them that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And, you know, like us, we hear that kind of terminology. We think, well, sleep is good for sick people, right? You know, go home and rest. And their, their idea is, okay, if he's sick, he's resting, he's going to be fine. And Jesus said, no, uh, actually, he's dead. And we, so we kind of get the picture that Jesus deliberately delayed his, his trip so that Lazarus would die and so that the family would grieve a while. That kind of blows us away because that's not the picture that we have of Jesus, is it? You know, I think this uh, story kind of shatters some of our opinions to say that Jesus is going to solve all of our problems. He's going to keep us from struggling. We know that isn't true. If it had been, he would have rushed there, solved the problem, had some good time and and left, you know, but he didn't do that. He deliberately let him die, and the family grieved because he had a better plan. In fact, what he said to them, his disciples, was this sickness will not end in death. And then we had this idea, you know, we had this idea that death is the end, right? And so we look at the story, and we go, wait, wait a minute, Jesus was wrong because the sickness did end in death, right? No, but the story wasn't over. The ending hadn't been told. That's what we got to keep in mind. And Jesus always sees the big picture. Always sees a big, big, big picture because Jesus knew what he was going to do in advance and he knew how the situation would end. And Jesus had a plan. Don't forget this. Jesus had a plan that the good would be greater than the pain. And you need to remember in your life that Jesus always has a plan for the good to be better than the pain that you might have to go through. We don't understand this. You know, our idea, Jesus should have solved you know, healed him before he died. But Jesus said, no, I got a plan, and my plan is better. Now, because Mary and Martha were believers, they kind of set the example of how we need to respond when we go through situations like this. They trusted Jesus. They trusted Jesus, and when he did arrive, they were not angry. Contrary to how sometimes we do it, right? Because we get mad at God. If God doesn't give us what we want and do what we ask, then we're actually mad at God. How many people out there in the world, maybe some of us in our hearts, are upset at God because God didn't do something we expected him to do and spare us from some problem that we didn't really want to go through? He didn't answer our prayer like we like. Mary and Martha were strong believers. They didn't become angry. Let me ask you this. Can you trust God when God doesn't immediately answer your prayer like you want? Can you trust him? And have to acknowledge that sometime it may be that God is strategically delaying something or God is not acting, God's not doing what you want or think he should be doing because he has a better plan for the good to be to overcome the pain that you go through. Can you trust God in that way? 
that God is doing something you don't see the big picture of. You know, we only see the moment that we're in. We only see what we want at the time, but God sees the big picture, and God wants us to trust him when we can't see it. I think one of the most difficult things in life for us as believers is to trust God in the unfolding of our life and believing that whether we see it or not, that God is a good God and that God is working in our lives and we don't see tomorrow. And what God may allow will always be for our ultimate good. And that's a hard thing for us to see, isn't it? You know, I think it's kind of like a parent that sometimes has to let their child go through a little bit of pain in order to protect them from something down the road. When our kids were little, uh, and we took them in to, to be vaccinated, I mean, it was hard because one of our kids, one of our daughters, hated shots worse than anything in the world. I mean, it would take two or three of us to literally lay on this child in order for her to let them give her a shot. And, you know, and, and it was against her will. It was a horrible thing. But we knew that if we did not do that, something could happen to her that would be much worse. Or maybe you as a parent have had to take your child in and you've had to let them go and have tubes put, put in their ears or you had to do something that, that would make them, you know, make them better, but they had to go through some pain to get there. And that's how it is sometimes with us and God. We see it illustrated pretty clearly. We don't always see it in our lives. But I love the verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, probably my favorite verse of Scripture. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And sometime in life, we just have to cling to that promise and, and, and that truth when we can't figure it out, we don't understand what God's allowing, we can't see what good it may be when we go through the bad, but God says, I'm working for your good. And through this story, we see that happening exactly, that God had a plan, and the plan was to let Lazarus die, to let Mary and Martha grieve and everybody else because his good was bigger than the pain. And he had a purpose for delaying his arrival. The second thing we see about this story that's kind of remarkable is that when Jesus got there, he wept. He wept with them. I've always thought that was a little bit remarkable. Jesus wasn't smug about it. He wasn't like, don't sweat this. Don't worry. I got this. He didn't do that at all. He didn't leave the impression that he was going to solve everything for them. He came in and he identified with them. He didn't say, hey, you ought to rejoice that your brother's gone to heaven. Say that, which is what we often say for believers, don't we? We say, you know, it's okay. He didn't say that. He, he didn't offer any of those kind of platitudes. Instead, he wept with them. Actually, the language that used here in verse 33 is that he was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. The idea has that he was heaving with emotion and he was bursting into tears. I think that's amazing because Jesus knew what he was going to do. It wasn't like it just came to him. I, I'm, I'm sad, so I think I'll raise him. No, this was a plan all the way along. But even in spite of that, he was still compassionate and he was kind and he, he identified he was broken for the family. And you know what? It wasn't just for that family. I think it was for, for the whole human race. You know, sometimes we view God as being kind of distant and uncaring and not being engaged in our world. And we see, you know, where was God, you know, whenever that, um, uh, when those people were suffering? Where was God when there's injustice here or there? And when there's a natural tragedy like a hurricane or a tornado, of that the victims of war, uh, addiction, disease, uh, abuse, where's God? We almost feel like God doesn't care. But, you know, the reality is that God is right there. We don't know why God's allowing it, 
But this account gives us insight about how God and how Jesus view human suffering. It was a brokenness that he went through for them. Because you see, it wasn't just Lazarus' death. It was the whole picture of the wrongs of the world that drew his tears. It was him seeing how horrible death can be and suffering and life and pain and what Satan had brought upon the world. And it also shows us what Jesus thinks about death, you know. The Bible says that death is the enemy that we were never intended to have to experience. God did not, allow, not want us to die. It was sin that brought death into our existence and our experience. And this, this death represents everything that Jesus came to make right. He came down to get rid of the whole idea of death, to bring life in spite of death, not just to restore physical life, but more important, eternal life, spiritual life. And, and that's, that's what his purpose was all about. So when he saw that, he acted very quickly. He spoke very briefly to Mary and Martha, and then he acted, and that is he raised, he raised Lazarus. He had a conversation with Martha her, about, about resurrection, and he asked her, do you believe, Martha, uh, do you believe in me not just for physical life, but do you believe in me uh, for spiritual life as well? Do you think I can do that? And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is where we see another person confessing who Jesus is. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. We see an incredible confession about who Jesus is here by someone who believed in him with all of her heart, even though she was in the middle of suffering. Isn't that amazing? It's so easy for us to praise Jesus when everything is going well. She did not, I, I believe, she did not believe or know or expect Jesus to raise Lazarus. She was grieving. But in the midst of that, she confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And then the Bible says that Jesus went to the tomb, a tomb that was a cave with a stone rolled in front of it. Does that sound a little bit familiar to you? We're going to, in a, a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating another stone that was rolled away, this time from the inside. But on this particular time, uh, Jesus went to the tomb, and, uh, and it's kind of like a dress rehearsal of Easter that's happening here that was going to happen not too long from this moment in time going forward. And Jesus said, I want you to go, and I want you to roll that stone away. You know, I love human nature because Martha, remember Martha, I, I said a few moments, she was the practical one. We got to cook. We got to clean for Jesus to come, and we don't have time to this. Well, Martha's always thinking. So when Jesus said, we got to take the stone away, Martha's thinking, oh, that's not going to be a good thing because he's been in there four days, and, and it's going to smell. That's, just don't do that. Just don't do that at all. Uh, but Jesus said, no, you know, roll the stone away. And so uh, Jesus said, no, it's, it's okay. Believe me, and you're going to see the glory of God. So they rolled the stone away, and Jesus prayed. Did you, did you notice his prayer? He said, Father, he said, I don't have to pray because you know I'm going to do this. But I'm doing it for their benefit because why? Because he wanted all the glory to go to God. Amen. This wasn't really a Jesus thing. This was a God thing. And they wanted, you know, he wanted God, them to know that God was doing this. And he asked God to help them, uh, help him and to make the crowd believe. And then he spoke out to Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come out. You know, I love what someone said, and I never thought about this, but someone said that if Jesus had not limited his command to Lazarus, then every dead person in the region would have probably come to life. 
been people popping up everywhere, you know. And so everybody said, no, Lazarus, right now, Lazarus, you alone, come out. And, uh, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. And what's amazing is it says when he came out, he was still wrapped in the burial cloth. Now, in those days, they would, and we read this about Jesus as well, but they would wrap the person very tightly. They would pack them with spices, up to 75 pounds of spices. So they would just be totally surrounded. It was the way that they kind of embalmed them. And they would wrap them tightly with cloth. They would put something around the head as well. So they were literally a mummy. They were mummified. And so when Jesus called Lazarus out, all of a sudden as people held their breath, this form appeared and he is bound with all that stuff. You know, that's no small miracle in itself. So he wasn't just, he, he wasn't just alive. He was healthy and pretty strong to manage to, you know, kind of stumble his way out of the tomb. And then Jesus tells them to cut him loose. Do you notice how engaged the onlookers are? As I thought about this, I thought, wow, you know what? There's a lot of faith there. Here, here's how Jesus engaged the onlookers. First of all, he said, I want you to roll the stone back. Now, keep in mind that these were Jews, and they wanted to stay clean. And if they touched a, a body or contacted a dead body, <coughs> they would be unclean for some time. So they didn't have a lot of contact with the dead because that was just a part of their beliefs. Then... They, they watch while Jesus calls Lazarus out, and then Jesus tells them to go and unwrap the, the dead guy. I'm sure some of them were still wrapping their heads around the fact that he, there was Lazarus inside that mummy, but, but there was a lot of faith there that day. Not just on Mary and Martha's part, but everybody else. I don't see Mary and Martha doing that. I think they were, the onlookers were the ones that rushed to do it. And you know what? That really is what this miracle is all about. That's why this miracle is so big. That's why Jesus waited for Lazarus to die. Could Jesus have, have gone and healed Lazarus' illness? Absolutely. Could Jesus have just had a thought or say a word, staying where he was, and Lazarus would have been fine? Absolutely. He could have done that. He did that other times. But Jesus knew and did exactly what he planned to do to accomplish his purpose. And you know what? It wasn't just about getting Lazarus alive again. It wasn't just like, I want to comfort this family. I want my friend back. That wasn't what it was. Because you know what? A few years later, more than likely, the mourners came once again to Lazarus' house, and this time he would stay in the tomb, right? Because he did die again. But Jesus' purpose was to show that he was Lord over life and death. That he was Lord over everything. And to show that he had the power not only to raise a physical life, but also eternal life. It was to show everyone and to build faith in them. And many did believe. In fact, it says there, therefore many of the Jews who had come out to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So there were skeptics that had come out to, to, to care for Mary and Martha and to comfort them. They had come out of Jerusalem, which was just a few miles away. They had come out, but they didn't believe in Jesus until this day that many of them believe. But you know, at the same time, not even raising a dead person could convince some people because there were a lot of other people there as well that were angry at Jesus, if you can imagine that, resentful of Jesus. And in fact, it almost seems like that this miracle galvanized his enemies because when they saw him do something so powerful, so amazing, it's like, we got to fix, we got to get rid of this guy. He, he, he is getting so much attention. He is, he's, uh, you know, they were so jealous of him. They were so threatened by him. 
that they determined that day, as well as many others, we've got to do something about him that led to his future arrest and crucifixion. But let's go back and kind of look at this story because many of them were, were forced to believe. It was a moment that they had to decide, what do I do with Jesus? What do I think about him? And some of them had the courage and the faith to believe that he was exactly who he said. And you know, you, know, you and I, when we're faced with who Jesus really is, we have to make a decision. We have to decide. You can't just see and hear something like this and not have some opinion about that. Do you, do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, that he has the power over sin and death? A little bit later on, we're going to read this in another message, but John chapter 20 said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I have not seen a dead person come back to life again, but I believe the accounts. I believe God's Word, and I believe that God has the power through Christ to bring us all back to life again. Is Jesus enough for you? Because when it comes down to it, he will be all that we basically have. He is all that we have. And by the way, who else is there? Jesus is not just the best way. You know what he said? I am the only way. The only way. And Mary and Martha, they had so much confidence in Jesus. They believed that with all of their heart. He was enough for them. Even if he didn't even raise their brother, which again, I don't think they expected just being there was enough for them. And their faith in him was, was rewarded. It wasn't based on this miracle. They said this before he raised Lazarus. But their faith, I believe, prompted Jesus to reward them and convince other people. You know, this whole idea of, of death is one that we deal with all the time, right? I mean, I, I deal with that. I have a funeral tomorrow evening. And death is a hard thing for us because what do we think about death? It's the worst thing that could happen, right? In our minds, the worst thing that could happen would be if a loved one were to die or an accident of some sort. The worst thing that could happen. But isn't it great to know that Jesus can take the worst thing and he can overcome that and make it the best thing for us? But when it comes down to it, we have to decide, do we believe in this one who has the power over death? enough to give him our lives because I will tell you there would have been no joy in, in Lazarus coming back to life again had he not been a believer and there would be no joy in his or, or no hope in his next death if he had not been a believer and so today we stand at a place when we think about death it, it, it isn't the worst thing that could happen to us in if we're in Christ it is the worst thing that could happen to someone who does not know Jesus, that's for sure. The very worst thing because that's the end of their opportunity to, to accept him. But today, we have the chance, based on his word, based on his truth, his claims, to acknowledge who Jesus is and prepare for our own death, which, by the way, will come probably unexpectedly to all of us. So let's get real today. Just like they were real in that day and they dealt with it, and they saw the power of Jesus, let's look for the power of Christ in our lives by making sure that we are believing in him. Like Mary, uh, like Martha said, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into our world. And that's the confession of faith that we're all called to make. If you've never made that confession of faith, if you've never given your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. You know, we, we don't have, we're not going to see somebody come to life again more than likely. But we have his promises. We have his word that assures us 
when it comes down to our faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he can do? And will we depend upon him for our resurrection one day? Life after death that we long for with our Lord and Savior. I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you want to talk to me, uh, I'll be over here on one side. Tony's going to be on the other, uh, available to share with you or pray with you, whatever your needs may be. But we're going to do that just here in a few moments. We'll give you a chance to do that and respond. At the same time, we're going to be offering you a chance and inviting you to come to the table to share in communion. We do this every Sunday as believers. We think it's important to have a regular contact, a regular time of commitment and remembering who Jesus is. And so we invite you as a believer just to come forward, and we just ask you to come up the, the side aisles and then go back that way or inside, uh, which, wherever you're setting. And this is a time for us to specifically remember what Jesus has done for us. Not his raising of Lazarus, but his own death on the cross and why he did that for us. So as we take the, the bread, it remem reminds us of his body that was broken. We take the cup, it reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shared for us. And may this be a time of reflection, of personal questioning and examination as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for, this, for your word today. Lord, um, this amazing story. Uh, may it never get old, God, uh, as we think about what Jesus has done and uh, during his time on the earth and the, the signs and wonders that he did that revealed who he was, that God, he, he is not just a great teacher, but he has the power over life and death. And Lord, just as we'll celebrate in a month or so the resurrection of Jesus, uh, God, help us to know that we can be a, have a part of that. That, God, we too can experience, like Lazarus, new life, a new beginning, not on this earth, not in a back in a mortal body that will fail again, but instead, eternal body. And, Lord, all of that is possible only because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, Lord, as we take now this cup and this bread, may it be a reminder to us of your love and sending Christ, of his sacrifice on the cross, dying for us. And, Lord, may we be driven to commit our lives to serve him and follow him and trust him. Lord, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.